started. Um, my name is Chris Fox and I'm in the Department of Emergency Medicine at UC Irvine. I see some unfamiliar faces. No, I'm just kidding. I'm over here. Um, so we're going to talk about um, radiation exposure and medical radiation. Um, it, it, this talk's gone through a bunch of different iterations. It was mostly at one point focused on CT and then I kind of opened up to be about all types of medical radiation. So We'll go ahead and get Americans started. We are exposed to seven times more radiation today than we were in 1980, according to a new report from the National Council on Radiation Protection and Measurements. Nearly half of our radiation exposure now comes from medical tests and treatments, such as CAT scans and heart tests that utilize radioactive dyes. Much of the radiation is good for us. It cures thyroid cancer and can help diagnose a stroke before too much brain damage occurs. But researchers say some doctors are too quick to rely on radiological tests out of fear they may get sued. In addition, some physicians use radioactive tests for profit. They refer patients for scans at a facility where they have a financial stake. Experts are concerned that doctors often don't appreciate the radiation levels in these tests. One 64-slice CT scan of the heart is equivalent to about 600 chest x-rays. Patients can help protect themselves by asking whether radiological testing is truly necessary and if there might be another option that could provide the same information with less radiation. With this Medical Minute, I'm Dr. Timothy Johnson. Okay, that concludes my presentation. Are there any questions <laughs> you guys have? So, uh, thank you. Thanks, Ram. Um, so, I just want to just sort of give a, um, a, a quick disclaimer, and that's that um, I'm, of course... I do have a massive conflict of interest, <laughs> and um, and that's that my internal combustion engine is constantly pushing for ultrasound. So if I can find ways to beat up other imaging modalities, both in terms of their accuracy or their risks, I will find those uh, anywhere I can. So just so you know, full disclosure, um, MD aware. Um, so what we're going to talk about is some of the some of the risks. Understand, try to understand some of the risks and uh, CT scans and other stuff and um, discuss some of the differences it has with pediatric and adult patients. And, um, you know, I, we talk about this renal failure, allergic reaction thing so much that I, I just close those slides down because I figure you guys get enough of that. And um, I don't think we'll have time anyway. So uh, we'll skip that bullet point. Um, but, um, and then talk about some ways maybe to reduce CT radiation. So whenever you order an imaging, uh, an imaging test, you know, you're balancing the strength of evidence for a particular diagnosis with the cost of the modality and the feasibility of obtaining a modality. Now, in the old days, it was actually difficult. Believe it or not, when I was a resident, I had to call up a radiologist and ask them if I could get a head CT on a patient. I remember that. And I had to tell them, and they go, well, why do you want a head CT? And I go, well, you know, the person uh, syncopized, they hit their head, they were unconscious for 20 minutes, they're barfing everywhere right now. Or, uh, while I still have this window of stability, I'd like to respectfully get the CT scan, please. Now, it's just like, you know, I go see the patient, and a nurse has ordered a CT scan on the patient. They've already had one, so um, interestingly enough. But MRI, sometimes we run into problems getting MRI. Every time we call a neurologist for a consult, before we can even get the, you know, the, the, the presentation out, they're already telling us to go order some kind of lash MRI thing, right? If I call a surgeon for a consult, before we get off the phone, there's a CT has, been, um, either has already been ordered or is the next study. As soon as I know that I call a surgeon, uh, for, for a, a lot of conditions, that the, the answer on the other line is going to be order this particular type of imaging before I come see the patient. And, um, and that happens just as, as a routine of practice now. We're under certain time constraints. Um, you know, 
and um, we're sort of incentivized to do a CT scan. Because guess what? If I go into the room and talk to a patient, spend a little more time with the patient, and go try to find an ultrasound machine, drag it to the bedside, turn it on, enter the patient's data, and then do an ultrasound on a patient, I'm spending even more time with that patient, and that's slowing me down even more. If I'm trying to see three, four patients an hour to keep up with my my colleague who's kicking my butt, Carrie Chenwani, <laughs> it's really tough to spend a lot of time with these patients. I have to revert to curtailing my exam um, or avoiding the ultrasound, which the only way to cover myself medical legally in some of those cases is simply just order a CT scan. And so I'm incentivized in that way. And you know, when I talk to a patient and I say, hey, listen, uh, Kenny Kim, I'm so worried about you. <laughs> I'm not messing around today. You know what I'm going to do? Mm -hmm. I'm getting a CT scan. <laughs> okay? And, uh, and the patient's like, wow, doctor's like awesome. They really care about me. They're ordering a CT scan. This is awesome. <laughs> and, so, and so you can turn this whole thing into like doctor-patient satisfaction. They really cared about me over there. It's much faster to order and get a CT and a result nowadays than it is to certainly perform a bedside ultrasound um, and spend more time with the patient sleuthing around trying to find the diagnosis. And so, and guess what? Medical legally, we take another consultant along with us. We take a radiologist along with us medical legally and share that burden of risk with them, which enables me to move even faster. And when it comes time to do, doing my bill on the chart, well, I can maybe take it from a level three up to a level four upcode a little bit and justify that, that I was so concerned about this patient, I can put even scarier things in the MDM to upcode that chart because all those things were just crossed off on that CT scan. You see how that works? And so we're all very incentivized here, myself included. I mean, I go to work today at 3 o'clock, work till 1 a.m., and I will probably order about 10 CAT scans during my shift. And so, but that's just, that's just the nature of emergency medicine. So I just want to kind of get that out there. Um, you want to be a good utilizer of resources. There's contrast in radiation exposure going on. We'll, we'll mostly talk in this talk about radiation, what that potentially might mean. And then um, we're, of course, balancing the patient's stability. This might be our only window of stability in order to get some type of imaging modality, and uh, we have to think about that. That is one of the nice things about ultrasound is that, you know, uh, the patient doesn't have to be stable at all. In fact, they can be dead. Um, <laughs> and the concept of cost-effective imaging is... Um, Interesting. Did you guys hear that? So some religions don't like it when you do an autopsy, and there's a way some corners, I guess, will accept a post-mortem um, CT scan. Well, maybe after seeing this lecture, those same religions might would rather have an ultrasound. <laughs> so, so you got to think about what the most there is your balancing religious aspect. So you got to think about what the most accurate test is, which is almost invariably the most expensive test. And then you got to balance that with, with the least expensive test, which isn't always the most accurate test. And so you're kind of going back and forth, right? Because um, you can do, I mean, an entire, um, an entire generations, um, an entire generation went by without an MRI, and we were trying to diagnose hip fractures and acetabular fractures, and we were missing about 40% of acetabular fractures because x-ray just doesn't pick those up um, as well as it does other types of fractures. And so, but a long bone, a fracture of the radius, I mean, an x-ray has almost near-perfect test characteristics to pick up a long bone fracture. We don't get MRIs on patients, you know, 
mid-shaft radius fractures when they come in. If we, if we see an x-ray that's negative, we don't start going MRIs on those tests. But MRI is definitely more accurate. And some fractures are, are not uh, um, able to be seen acutely. They're, um, they're occult and only seen after a couple of weeks. That happened to my foot. I broke my foot. Uh, in Australia that was extremely easy to see on both the ultrasound and x-ray. But then uh, I, uh, I was 12 weeks of non-weight bearing, and then I went surfing on it uh, right after I got out of my non-weight bearing status. Um, <laughs> and then I was with, um, with uh, Lee Puckett, and uh, we were surfing, and all of a sudden I, I, did, I did a bottom turn, and I felt like way worse pain in my foot than I did when I broke it the first time. So then I went that day, got an x-ray, and was negative. And then... Three weeks, four weeks later, I went to see a foot doctor, got another x-ray, and there was a fracture right where I felt all that pain that day. So sometimes x-rays will, uh, there'll be a delay, there'll be an occult fracture going on. That's, there's a website called mrimetaldetector.com, and it's like all the stuff that MRI machines ate. Okay? And so when you start doing searches for the bioeffects of MRI, which... Um, there's not a lot that comes up. Nobody really knows how MRI, like, we know how it works, and there's potential bioeffects there, but there may not be any at all. We're not sure, actually. There's very little written on it, um, and there's no guidelines out there for, to limit its use. Um, but it's a pretty powerful magnet. You know, there's gurneys, you know, they get sucked into these things. It's a kind of a fun website. So, um, you know, there's also... Um, we kind of talked about uh, that slide already. So CT definitely has an effect on the diagnosis, right? So this was a study um, or a couple studies that looked at the accuracy of the clinical diagnosis before and after CT scan. Not surprisingly, the accuracy improved without CT, which was at 71% to 93% after CT, which changed management almost half the time. So the CT scan really has a big effect on our practice, which is why it's become so popular, rightfully so. Um, and the level of confidence improved 63% after um, ordering a CT scan. So it made you more confident as a doctor. For all the reasons I have already stated, you do. You feel, as a patient in the old days with abdominal pain, where you just admit to the hospital and they would do serial abdominal exams, a sort of, um, you know, um, wait and watch kind of serial exam sort of thing. Uh, well, it costs $4,000 or whatever it costs, probably more than that now, I don't know. I just throw that number out there, to admit a patient to a hospital. It costs 1500 bucks to do a CT scan of the abdomen and pelvis, and if it's negative, you send that patient home. And so cost-effective, um, that's definitely um, what has happened in our culture. We rarely do admit a patient for serial exams and avoid a CT scan. Can you imagine talking to a surgeon like that and saying, yeah, just go ahead and examine his belly like every six hours uh, for a couple of days and, you know, see how that conversation goes with the surgeons. Um, so CT rates have increased over 25 years. We know this. Um, for all the reasons uh, I've explained. Um, and it's also going up in, uh, in kids as well. This is an adult study uh, looking at the head, chest, abdomen, and C-spine. We can see even just between 2000 and 2005, the massive uh, increases there. Um, in, and this was a study from emergency radiology in the pediatric emergency department. Even though, see, that says pediatric emergency department. That says adult study. Maybe they have another slide coming up. Um, and this was, um, it's in the news. Uh, we see it all the time on websites and, and um, news states. It's really easy. You, you Google, Google this and all these uh, news things come up. It's very, it's very popular. Time Magazine just had a thing on it um, in like three issues ago. But, um, but this is from November of 2010 when, where they saw that uh, they reported in AHA News Now that by 2007, headache finally surpassed abdominal pain 
as the uh, most common uh, reason to order a CT scan. And so, you know, it's in the lay press, and the World Health Organization, CDC, and the um, NIEHS have classified x-rays as carcinogens. And, um, and so that's, those are important organizations who are, who are concerned about this. this there was um, a New England Journal of Medicine article that was one of our 2009 life, uh, t uh, lifelong learning um, assessment articles um, by Brenner and Hall that had a lot to do with looking at curtailing the use of radiation in our patients and sort of making emergency physicians Reminding emergency physicians that radiation is potentially harmful if used in, in excess. Yes? That was one where it said 2% of all future carcinomas are going to be caused by diagnostic radiation. That sounds right to me. Yeah, I think you're right, well, Dr. Pitts. Yeah, oh, I saw Dr. Schultz walk in the building earlier, and I don't see him in the room right now, and I'm honestly kind of relieved because he hates it when I talk about this stuff. So, um, but I do quote Dr. Schultz coming up here. Don't worry, I'm, I'm getting to it. This is how a school teacher, Becky Kudek, her hair falling out after she had a CT brain scan in September. Her lawyer says she received a higher than normal radiation dose. Two other patients have come forward with similar stories. In Los Angeles, Cedars-Sinai Medical Center is being investigated for giving excess radiation to more than 250 patients. Uh, <laughs> the problem of too much radiation during CT scans may be more widespread than anyone thought. The doses are actually higher than are generally reported. New research you guys know what that is? A wide variation in radiation yeah, dose for the most common CT scans. Like Rebecca Smith-Beinman, UCSF. Some patients received 13 times more radiation than others for the same type of scan. Depending on where a particular patient was sent, the hospital... She's pretty legit researcher. She kicked me off one of her projects. <laughs> I couldn't keep up with her. Radiation is a known carcinogen, even in the relatively small amounts used with most CTs. There are a number of uncertainties involved in predicting cancer risk. But a second study today estimates that about 29,000 future cancers might be caused by the 72 million CT scan done in 2007. So the CT scan has truly indicated patients should um, proceed with that scan, but be sure to choose an accredited facility that uh, can be uh, relied upon to control dose and make it as low as possible. The FDA is investigating the type of brain scan that went wrong in California and Alabama hospitals. Meanwhile, experts are calling for regulations to standardize how all CT scans are performed. Katie? Dr. John, a big important story. Thank you so much, John. Chris. Yeah. So I just want to say, so trying to not say it too strong, so it's hypocritical for radiologists to be on that, for whatever it's worth, because there is no other specialty in emergent in in medicine, bar none, that makes its money. That when you do something, they say do something else. There's no other specialty in medicine well, self -referral, that self-refers more than radiologists. And for radiology to say that is absolutely hypocritical. That you know, other people are ordering too many tests. If anybody has perpetuated this, ten times more, it is radiology. So can we um, edit this part off the iTunes uh, public uh, lecture format because, yeah. So I heard of a lawsuit of a woman who sued because she lost her psychic powers. I think this was in Berkeley. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome.
That's awesome. Um, so, so some of these CT scans go haywire and they cause some problems. And I'm not really, I just think these stories are kind of funny to read about this and see people with their hair loss. And, uh, and uh, that guy right there, I guess that, that was one of the Cedar sinus guys. He got stuck on the same thing. And, and, um, but, you know, I, I'll tell you right now, um, I've been doing ultrasound for 12 years now. And um, I don't know if you guys ever saw a picture before I started doing ultrasound. I actually had a full <laughs> head of hair. And so, you know, I, I, maybe there's something wrong with ultrasound, too, causing some hair loss. But um, you look around and see some of the experts in ultrasound. Paul Straczynski, not a lot of hair on that dude's head, okay? So I'm just saying. Um, <laughs> so parents are suing this one hospital up in Northern California. Um, there was a um, 23, uh, basically a two-year-old kid who had radiation burns and chromosomal damage after uh, one CT scan because the technologist actually didn't do one CT scan but did 51 CT scans in a 65-minute period and had all these radiation burns and everything. And they found this geneticist who, who documented chromosomal damage on this two-year-old. And then lawyers jumped in on this and, um, you know, were you injured by a CT scan? This is the lawyer. He's like, uh, can I get a picture next to the CAT scan? No, no reason. I just like to kind of pose next to medical equipment. And, um, and so, did this happen to you? Were you burned by a CT scan? Hair loss is not the only problem. See, right there. What, what's, what's the problem with hair loss? I don't, that's so derogatory towards people without hair. Really? Is that so big a problem? So, um, so, so this, is, this, is what the old, this is what the CT tech sees, right? So they're, they're at the mission control of the CAT scan machine, okay? So they can adjust. I always thought you just push a button, the patient goes through, and there's, you know. But actually, there's a lot of uh, factors here. They can, they can turn up or down the radiation, right? So if the patient's off-center, that increases the dose to part of the body that's receiving the, uh-oh, that's receiving the part that's, <laughs> that's off-center, that's off right? So if the patient's not dead down the center of the CAT scan machine, when they're going around, if they're off to one side, asymptotic, off to one side, they can get more radiation one side or the other. If you split the scan volume, that can increase the dose. You could change, as the CT tech, the collimation, the beam pitch, and the table speed, okay? You can turn off automatic exposure control or turn it on. And um, sometimes that helps to reduce radiation by keeping it on, but you can always turn it off. Um, faster gantry, gantry rotation reduces radiation dose. But um, there's more noise if uh, you turn up the gantry speed. What that means, that's how many times it's spinning around the patient. It can spin around the patient four times in one second, or you can turn that up, but then there's more noise. Uh, so you might need to increase the output. Um, and you can actually order as many, you can order extra images if you'd like. Just crank up this number, and you're going to get more doses that way. If you decrease the KVP, that reduces the dose and increases the tissue contrast. But um, Increasing MAs could reduce noise. I'm not sure what that means, but that sounds uh, important. But you can just see, like all these, <laughs> there's all these, there's all these ways they can like. It's up to the tech to like uh, adjust these CAT scanners. So you can see how, you know, there's a lot of leeway there, especially not so much in big hospitals like this with lots of regulation and all those, you know, manuals and everything. But really, in the smaller hospitals and the more rural communities. I think, well, yeah, it's true. Little, little places like Cedar Sinai and that little town of Los Angeles you may have heard of. Lucky to get cell phone coverage there. Um, so the FDA launches this initiative to rein in medical radiation in February 2010. Then there was a subcommittee hearings in February 2010, and then FDA hearings in March 2010. And then I'm searching around there. I can't really find much else that was going on. Maybe, um, maybe they're still waiting to publish some of their findings. But um, there was a letter to the Medical um, Imaging uh, Technology Alliance regarding CT recommendations. Like they wanted to have more protocols. This is from the FDA. They wanted more protocols 
um, and more information um, on brain specifically brain perfusion protocols. That automatic exposure control that I showed you, you can like turn that off and then use manual mode. So maybe having um, um, you know like some kind of uh, canine unit. Um, like a German Shepherd in the CT scanning um, room in case in case the uh, CT tech tries to adjust, turn off this AEC that they bite the CT tech, prevent that from happening. Uh, Pop-up notifications, you know, um, right. There's other protocol manuals make things easier to understand and, and stuff like that. The, the terminology is super confusing too because there's radiation exposure, Absorbed dose, equivalent dose, and effective dose. And uh, basically, radiation exposure, those are the Rankins, uh, which is the amount of radiation that, um, that causes ionization of the air by photons. And then there's the absorbed dose, which is the amount of energy absorbed per unit mass, which is rads or milligrays, okay? So you got, you got Rankins, you got rads, milligrays, and then the equivalent dose is what modifies the radiation dose by the biological effect, since not all radiation is equal, and that's REM or millisieverts, which is the, really the main term that you hear nowadays. And then there's the effective dose, which not all tissues are equally sensitive, and that's in the millisieverts. So some tissue is more sensitive, like um, tissue that turns over a lot, like the gut and the uh, gonadal organs, and glandular tissue tends to be more sensitive. So, um, and so when you talk about the effective dose here, for the different studies, you're probably wondering, and this is the millisieverts. Turns out that one millisievert equals um, one milligray, okay? And one millisievert also, also equals 0.1 rems. And so you can see the type of study here. Chest X-ray is only 0 0.02 uh, millisieverts. And, you know, for a PA, for a PA lateral, it's a little more, 0 0.1. And you can go all the way down and get to, you know, 7.5 for the abdominal um, CT scan and 7.5 for a pelvis CT scan. So, um, and a chest CT for rule out PE, I see this number bounce all over the place from 3 to 15, uh, depending on lots of different settings. And so, um, so then, you know, you can actually get radiation exposure by flying in an airplane. And I wasn't that aware of this, unfortunately, because my son is four years old, until I researched this talk, because my son's four years, four and a half years old. And uh, he's been on 173 flights now. And, um, and just going from LAX to Maui is like 0 0.015 millisieverts. Now let's go back to this category here. It's almost a PA of the chest when you go to Hawaii. Okay, so you definitely get your fair share. A, a, little, a little bit of radiation flying around in the atmosphere at 30,000 feet. Um, and for various reasons, you're, you're getting exposed to that. But you can go to this website. It's kind of cool. It's this sievertsystem.org. And you can figure out how many millisieverts you're getting when you're flying from different places around the world. Just FYI. Kind of interesting. What about, like, the security? The security? I don't know. I didn't look that up. I think it's unbelievably low, though. It's like, it's like, yeah, it's nothing even, yeah. The media tried to grab a hold of it, and it was stupid, because it's like, it, you would have to sit in that thing for, you know, you'd have to take, I forgot what it was. I'll just make up a number to make it sound funny, but I don't even know. Um, so, so here's some tests with millisievert dosages here. This was from Circulation 2009. And again, um, chest x-ray is about 0.1. A head CT is 1.5. Uh, a coronary angiogram is 3 to 7 millisieverts. Um, a chest CT is, this one's quoting it, up to 7. Um, a, a coronary CT angio, and there depends. You could do a retrospective or prospective gating. 
the prospective gating is, seems to be the one gaining foothold, and it's got the same millisieverts as doing an uh, angiogram, um, 3 to 5. CT of the abdomen, um, chest, and pelvis all uh, was equal to 10 in the study. But look at this, um, those myocardial perfusion imaging studies, you know, like those, um, the nuke med tests that we get on certain patients that don't fit into our chest pain protocol unit, they can't do a treadmill or they've already had a negative treadmill, and it's kind of the test right before you get um, uh, an angiogram, basically, um, and, and those can have higher doses of, of radiation, interestingly. So when we get into some of the age-related stuff, you obviously wouldn't want to do this on a seven-year-old, and there would really be no reason clinically I could ever think to do that on a seven-year-old, luckily. Um, but if you had somebody sort of, you know, mid-age, uh, mid-range age, I don't know, something to think about. Once, once you get older, none of this really matters too much. On a seven-year-old, nobody knows. Who knows? There's no evidence to suggest uh, any, any harm at all. Bam, Dr. Schultz. <laughs> <laughs> No, I'm just, uh, well, you'll see some. We won't in, in this lifetime. No. We won't in this lifetime. No idea. But, but we, can, we can sort of have fun with this and add up these Millie Sieverts and see, and see, who knows what we'll see. So, um, and see what the experts say, what we could see. Yes? If it was medically, if it was medically re indicated, and as would I, as would I. That's what I, I would absolutely, so the, so I'm flying my kid around an airplane, obviously I don't give a shit about any of this. So this was kind of If it's as good and it's cheaper, why wouldn't it? But most of them really aren't as good. And I don't know what we're talking about. Andrew brought up a good question. Does it make a difference if the sun's up or the sun's down as you're flying? Do they differentiate between the time of the flight? I don't know. I think it's, I don't know. How close it is to the sun? I don't know. These are actually, it's not really from the sun. These are like cosmic radiation. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Because the sun is like ultraviolet radiation or something, right? If you're like in the tropics or something. Yeah. Mark, do you have a question? Okay. So musings, so this was a study published by radiologists way back in 2003, back when you guys were like still in kindergarten or something. So they said, they said this is when multi-detector CTs were starting to get popular. So they said musings at the beginning of the multi-detector CT era. And it was thought that multi-detector CTs have more, are, are easier to obtain and, um, and have more radiation because um, you're trying to, punch out more exposure to these multiple detectors, not just a single detector anymore. And so, and this radiologist says, you know, we, we don't really have a technologically intensive way to evaluate a patient at the bedside. And right off the bat, I, you know, obviously I disagree with that statement because I think we do have a, a pretty good technology at the bedside to evaluate a patient using a bedside imaging technology. So, um, but this guy didn't know about ultrasound apparently. And um, coupled with the fear of malpractice, Okay, so now the fear of malpractice is an interesting one. Um, some people really fear it, and other people don't. Now, I've never been an expert witness in anything before. I haven't been exposed to any malpractice myself yet. And, um, and I could tell you that a couple of my friends have gone through it. It's been absolute hell for them. And so maybe they order more CTs after going through a lawsuit. I don't know. I, I, they might be interesting to look at that. I don't necessarily feel, maybe you guys perceive that, I don't feel that malpractice fear in myself because I haven't been exposed to a lot of that stuff um, in my 
in my short clinical year, and um, I, I think I've been, you know, obviously lucky. But so for me, that that doesn't. I don't know. For some people, that might be really important. For other people, it may not. Um, but yes, Andrew. So there's there's a study a few years ago um, in regards to fear of malpractice evaluation of coronary artery disease, and they see a correlation with that. But um, in terms in, in in the sense that if you've been pursued once, then you go deeper into your workups no, with. Oh, okay. And uh, and then while I was at Michigan for my residence project, I did fear of malpractice related with pediatric head CT, and we didn't see a significantly uh, uh, um, statistically significant correlation. Interesting. I think the other piece to that is it will be different in different countries where things are less litigious, and also with the cost consideration, it will be different in different countries. And for example, if you go in. Europe saying you have a young woman with right lower quadrant pain, that person's much more likely to get an MRI than a CT as they would in the U.S. So I think a lot of these data you're presenting are probably U.S. Yeah. Data. Yeah, unfortunately, I've, I've sort of restricted this um, talk mostly to practice in the U.S. Yeah. Make people aware that Locally, it can be a locally influence. And states differ too because some states there's no malpractice caps, um, like in um, Missouri, I think, or somewhere, or Chicago, Illinois, I don't know, Florida. Yeah. Maybe people are more defense, practice more defensive medicine there. I don't know. Um, and again, CT, I mean, you get a CT scan, you get your answer. It's, 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 you know, there's no more watchful waiting. And that's resulted in the 17 fold increase in CT. So basically, what he's saying is imagine at age eight, so we're going to take a 35 year old guy in the age 20, in the year 2040, okay? And then we're going to go back in time to when he was eight years old. Okay, Tarant Quentin Tarantino style. And at eight years old, he gets in a bike accident and he gets a CT to head, chest, C-spine, and head. Wait, abdomen, chest, C-spine, and head, right? Every day we do this to people. Age 15, falls off skateboard, gets the same imaging, right? Age 20, gets in a car accident, gets the same imaging. And then when he's 24, you know, he gets some like abdominal pain, kind of in the right lower quadrant um, a little bit, and ends up getting a CT scan to rule out Appy. And then at age 29, he gets this renal colic symptoms, ends up getting a, a CT scan for a kidney stone. And by the time he's 35 years old, he's had five abdominal CTs, which is 50 times greater the sum of atmosphere, terrestrial work, and home radiation that we normally would have had. And this just simply wasn't present um, in the generations before us. Um, and this is present now in our current, um, in our current stage of life. Uh, on this earth. So, but we may not know, as I'll get to here in a minute, the, the outcome of all this radiation. Here's a study looking from TN, the Journal of Trauma, um, a few years ago, looking uh, at trauma patients. You know, he said, you know, trauma patients come in, they get about five CT scans and 14 plane films when they get admitted to the hospital. Um, and, and again, this is the, this is the expected, um, should be italicized and maybe even uh, shadowed. Uh, excess cancer rate mortality from this exposure was 190 out of 100,000 patients, since there's 2.6 million trauma patients each year, that's about 5,000 extra uh, possible cases of cancer mortalities based on this heavy uh, imaging uh, exposure. And um, here's another study looked at um, basically, um, they looked at patients who weren't that injured, and they took the lower injury severity scores. So these are patients who are kind of like, you know, not bogus traumas, but Injury severity scores of 14, so the, the, not the really sick trauma patients. Their ages were, average age was 32, 
and their average dose was about 40 millisieverts, um, even when they weren't even that um, uh, did, um, injured. And so that's something to think about. And then there was another study, the National Academy Center Report on Biological Effects of Ionizing Radiation. Of 100,000 people exposed to a dose of 100 millisieverts, there would be an additional 800 cases of cancer. Now, I just quoted that out of this uh, Bear 7 Phase 2 report from the National Academy's press. Um, I took it right out of there, and they said that the risk is linear, that a median dose of 40.2 millisieverts could contribute, or would contribute to an additional 322 cases of cancer per 100,000 subjects. Did and that Well, I'm coming. To, I'm coming to that. I'm coming to that. I know. I know that uh, you want to see that. So I even quote you, Dr. Schultz. I've got a slide coming up. Don't you worry. I know these are the. the now we're getting close to it, Dr. Schultz. We're getting really close to the part you're going to like. Um, and yeah. I know, like skin cancer. Who gives a shit? I know. I don't. I'm not sure. I'm not sure. I, I didn't. I didn't get into the details of that. So. 10 millisieverts suggests, or some people say, per, is like one cancer per 1,000 patients and with a 50% mortality weight. Now, this is all based on atomic bomb survivors, which is hard to compare, but I'm getting to that. <laughs> I swear to God, I'm getting to that. Um, well, here it is. You can't wait any longer. So. Really, what's the risk? So... Researchers at Columbia say that people several miles away from where the atomic bombs were dropped received radiation doses similar to those patients received from CT scans. And here's a quote from Dr. Schultz that was on ABC News. Okay, this is the little link right down here if you want to scribble that out on your iPad. This article makes the same mistakes as every other article on the subject to date. They extrapolate atomic bomb data to medical radiation. This is like comparing apples with oranges. And Dr. Schultz goes on to say, quote, the radiation from atomic bomb blasts is essentially gamma radiation, which is received in a single exposure. Medical radiation is closer to beta radiation, as it can be completely attenuated with shielding and has lower energy. Insert banging head against the wall right here, because that's what Dr. Schultz does after he makes a big point. So. <laughs> was that right? Did I get you right? Was that, are we on the right? Uh, Yeah. If you take an individual and put them in a Mack truck and drive it five miles an hour, the kinetic energy of that individual is identical to an individual on a motorcycle traveling at 50 miles an hour. Oh, that's energy a nice way to put it, yeah. the same, same energy, okay? What happens when the Mack truck hits a brick wall? Nothing. You get out, you walk away. What happens when the motorcycle hits a brick wall? You're dead. Now, what is the biological impact of those identical energy exposures? One's alive, one's dead. That's what they're doing with this. They're taking people who are driving in a motorcycle at 50 miles an hour and hit a brick wall, and saying it's the same thing as if you're sitting in a Mack truck, driving at 5 miles an hour and hit the brick wall, because the energy's the same. It has nothing to do with the properties involved. Those radiation behave biologically much different. And as far as x-rays, which are sort of like beta, but not really, we're clueless. We have absolutely no idea how this radiation behaves in biological systems. Now, is it totally benign? Of course not. Look at those people that got the massive overdose from the CT, their hair fell out. Obviously, if little is good, more is not better. But to make these kinds of statements and intimidate you, well, we can't order a CT, it's a child, oh no, we'll give them cancer. Bullshit. This is not science. This is 
This is religion. Can you edit that out? <laughs> you can't do that. You've got to think about the science for this. The science on this it's is invisible. Awesome. Talk to radiation physicists who know more than doctors about this stuff. And you ask them the same question, what are they going to say? Say, I don't know. I think it's probably not true. We can't prove it, but I don't believe it. So the people that know more about this than anybody else I have a lot of skepticism about this data. Do I expect to change your minds today? Not exactly, but what I do want to get in your minds is radiation is not the evil that's going to rot your brain. It's obviously, if a little is good, more is not better, but if you need to get it, don't be intimidated by some of this stuff because this is just, this is witchcraft. It has no basis in science whatsoever. Everything we do has a risk-benefit to it. Even starting an IV, it has <coughs> a risk. So you have to always weigh the risks and benefits, but also think about what's the public perception. If there's a news item on this that day, people are going to have more trepidation about getting a CAT scan. And so you need to know what the science is so you can explain to them the risks and benefits. Yeah. At the beginning of the talk, I said, I'm going to work my shift today at 3 o'clock. At 1 a.m. when I get off, I will probably have ordered at least 10 CAT scans. I'm and so I'm not saying I don't, I don't order any CAT. I'm not, I'm just trying to, because I'm requested to give this talk all the time. Everybody wants to know about this. This is like a hot topic. As you can see, all the banter that's going around here, it's a hot topic, pun intended. And so, and so I'm just trying to present whatever, whatever data is out there, actually. So um, speaking of hot topics, look who just walked in. Yes. Was there any problem with early radiologists developing um, blood disorders? Early radiologists, well, you brought up uh, um, uh, Marie Curie, right? That, that was her name, yeah. Do you want to tell us about that? I, I don't know this, I don't the, the exact the details. details, but um, yeah, she was one of the pioneers of um, discovering the Rentgens and the way that you could take an x-ray of the bones. And, um, and she worked with that a lot. She wasn't a physician, but she was like a chemist physicist, I think. And um, she developed um, leukemia, I think. Yeah. 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 Nobody gets leukemia. No one gets leukemia. Yeah. 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 Those people that were all located around with power lines and all got cancer, cluster, and oh yeah, the radiation. Then when they studied it scientifically, they showed that those were just cluster phenomena that had nothing to do with the phenomenon of power lines. So, it's but, all tempting, but it's not science. So like I said, I have a shift i got to get to, so um, <laughs> I'm going I'm to move on a little bit here. But there's been no studies out there directly attributing cancer to CAT scanning, okay? No studies have actually shown this. I mean, the hair, that's been it, okay? Which is obviously not that big of a deal. I don't know why that makes a big deal with that. Ra <laughs> there is a relationship between radiation exposure and cancer risk, um, but at low radiation doses, uh, it's less clear. And proving this definitively and accurately would require hundreds of thousands to millions of subjects. Now, I didn't get this from Carl Schultz. I got this from another source uh, somewhere. I can't remember where now, but th I thought this was a pretty good rhetoric right here, which is I, I, I totally agree with all these bullet points. Um, assumptions must be made based on other forms of radiation exposure, and the most widely used source, because there's nothing else we can compare it to, is atomic, atomic bomb survivors. But um, the way they make these risk estimates, they come from expert panel reviews, and we all know how bogus expert panel reviews can be. I've been on some of these expert panel reviews for other stuff, and it's totally bullshit. So, um, <laughs> so we're stuck uh, about what to do. There really is no conclusion other than in my mind, I think about what if it turns out after our lifetime, 
50 years from now, 60 years from now, that there really is a risk from radiation because we just don't know right now. And I was on the wrong side of the equation, and I was seeking, you know, the heck out of everybody without any care at all for it. And maybe I was causing some damage. I don't know. Maybe, but then maybe not. Maybe this is all hogwash. But I'll tell you, if I got a patient who I'm worried about, and the only way to really definitively answer it is with a CAT scan, I'm going to get the CAT scan. No questions asked. I'm not going to let patients suffer just because I'm worried about a theoretical risk with the, with the radiation, okay? But I also, you know, try to, you know, image gently. And if I can get my answer and spend a, you know, it might cost me a few extra minutes with the patient, but if I can get my answer at the bedside using ultrasound, then, and I can avoid a CT scan, why not? What about some of these patients that come in over and over again? There was one study uh, that looked at this in the American Journal of uh, Rankinology. Um, Seven-year period, 1.9% of patients had three more visits, each requiring a CT scan. Um, 130 patients got 1,700 CT scans. About half of those were ordered from the ED. Um, about 7.4 CTs uh, per patient. The mean cumulative dose was 65 millisieverts. One guy got 330 millisieverts. So do we need a cures registry for CTs? <laughs> a cures registry for CTs, yeah. Past radiation history, yeah, exactly. I like that. Um, oh, here's the kids uh, study. There's been increasing CT in kids. Um, kids at one year old, the lifetime attributable risk for dying from radiation-induced cancer is 1 in 550. Uh, the abdomen from the head is 1 in 1500, so there's less worrisome when you get a head CT than when you get an abdominal CT. And uh, I feel like I shouldn't even say any these slides right now because we've already thrown this lifetime attributable risk thing into complete um, uh, tailspin. We have no idea what these numbers mean anymore. But this is what's out there. This is what's published in the literature, so I figured you guys may as well be exposed to it. Um, so in <laughs> estimated radiation-induced cancer risk is three to five times higher in kids than adults, particularly with the uh, CTM and pelvis. And it's estimated that uh, excess cancer mortality rate by age 35, you kind of reach this asymptote or something where lower than the age of 35, uh, this is for people who get 100 millisieverts. Uh, these are cancer mortalities for 100 millisieverts of radiation is expected to be worse under the age of 35 than it is over the age of 35. And that has to do with um, some factors, such as kids live longer, um, and to obtain a cancer, maybe or, or maybe not, it was due to that CT scan. Um, and basically, this is saying kids at one year old, you get 600 abdominal CT and head CTs are done each year. Head CTs are ordered a two to one ratio compared to abdominal CTs, then about 600 kids says will die from cancer, but we all know that may be a could die. But given a background that there's 140,000 kids dying of cancer anyways every year, this increase is only 0.43%. So I think that's an interesting slide. Um, because even if we assume the worst case scenario and we're getting abdominal and head CTs on these kids, then just based on the fact that so many kids are already dying from cancer, that this is still a pretty small attributable risk. Does that make sense? Um, in fact, if you look at this with total lifetime attributable risk of death from cancer from a head CT or abdominal CT, it's higher the younger you are. But look how small these numbers are. I mean, they're tiny. Maybe when you're neonate, it's not as tiny as, as we'd like to see it. But, you know, when you certainly, as you get older, these numbers get really, really small. Um, extrapolations from extrapolations. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> so... About nine years ago, Fresh published this article in Pediatrics that this is just stuff that healthcare providers should know. What are some of the risks out there? And this article got a ton of uh, publicity, and so I thought I would summarize the key points here. 
in this article, Thrush says, chest CT is 68 times the dose of a chest X-ray. Kids have increased radio sensitivity. They have a longer radiation-related, longer lifetime for a cancer to develop. The thyroid, breast, and gonads have increased sensitivity, meaning that a smaller radiation per gram of weight of tissue has a greater potential for developing a cancer. The uppermost abdominal images often, unfortunately, include the breasts, and the lowermost abdominal images usually get the gonads, and these, these types of tissue are increased risk. Um, when a photon enters um, a body, it can get scattered around. They call this internal deflection, and that can affect other organs, not necessarily under the direct beam of the CT scan. Smaller kids end up getting a greater radiation dose than larger kids, um, even using the uh, same CT setting. So if a six-year-old gets the same setting as a 10-year-old, that six-year-old is going to have a higher effective dose, um, even though they just put it to kid, you know, on the, um, on the um, dial. And so that's where a lot of this legislature is trying to get at, is really trying to dial back those doses for patients based on their smaller body habit or smaller sizes and ages. So, but even if the radiation is reduced for smaller patients, the corresponding organs are even smaller than the actual dose to the organ is therefore higher. And so um, that one I had to think about for a while, but, uh, but I think it just has to do with the fact that just because somebody's weight or height may be in a certain range, their organs don't necessarily grow at the same rate that their bones do, their soft tissue organs. And so that's something to think about. Um, unlike x-rays where, you know, if you put too much energy into it, it's overexposed, CT is the opposite. The more energy, the more output, the more radiation, the uh, higher quality those images are going to be. And, um, and one CT scan could have anywhere from one to four series, right? Because you get the pre-con, you get a non-con, then you get a pre-con, then you get the phasing of the contrast, right? Phasing of the contrast, you get the venous phase, the arterial phase. So you can have up to like four CT scans. And, and uh, raise your hand if you've ever sent, had, a, had a patient go down a CT scan and then have to go down again because they didn't get the right number of cuts or something like that, right? I mean, happens quite often where the patient comes back, they say, oh, the radiologist called, you know what, can you send the patient back down? Uh, we didn't do this series. We didn't get this part of it. So patients end up getting a repeat CT scan just for a, techni uh, a technique issue. 30% of individuals have a CT, therefore get about um, a total of at least three CT scans. One single CT, the atom may only be 11 millisieverts, but if there's three phases with a contrast, it could be as high as 33 millisieverts. So you can see how it's easy to get over 100 millisieverts if you fall into that 30% who have three exams. Um, and that's how this, this is something you got to think about. What about this 22-year-old female? She's got chest pain, shortness of breath, positive pregnancy test, and a positive D-dimer. How do you work that patient up? What are you going to do? <laughs> Come do an ultrasound? Yes, I like that. It's not a trick question. So we did this in Journal Club at Dr. Landorf's house. I don't know how, how long ago that was, whenever that was. I remember this article. And basically, it was one of the LSA articles. And um, it was one of my LSA articles I had to present at a couple of conferences. And basically, it said that the fetal radiation dose is, um, is actually pretty low for a chest CT, but the fetal radiation dose it's pretty high for a, uh, a VQ scan, particularly the Q part of the uh, scan. So the, the perfusion part has a significantly higher a dose of radiation to a fetus. And, um, and so that's something to think about. Um, to the maternal dose, the CT was higher um, than the VQ scan, but the, to the fetus, the CT was lower. Right? That was the conclusion from that article. Okay. So what about pregnancy and the triogenic effects of CT scans? Up to 20 weeks pregnant, the triogenic effects 
are seen at doses that are pretty high, 50 to 150 millisieverts, um, has been shown to cause mental retardation, growth retardation, and physical deformities. Greater than 20 weeks, the teratogenic effects are very low, except in extremely high exposure doses. So this is something we already know. And if you look at the baseline of fatal childhood cancer, as another way to look at these numbers, it's 1 in 2,000. At a fetal dose of 50 millisieverts, which is pretty high, okay, the rate goes to 2 in 2,000. And just keep that in mind that in the first trimester, it's, it's the highest, 3 in 2,000 at that fetal milli, 50 millisieverts dose. Okay, so the younger you are in, as a fetus, um, at 50 millisieverts, the worst chance of you developing a fatal cancer is. Yeah, just for another point on this, if you have a child patient who's pregnant and sick, what's the most likely cause of the baby's demise? Is it going to be cancer in 40 years? No. No. No, you get the CT scan, absolutely. So and that's. I mean, obviously, if the person's well, yeah. blah, 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 but if you have a sick patient on your hands, you don't mess around. Not, the biggest threat to that baby is what's going on leading inside the mother. And I, and I hope I don't make that, I hope I'm making that point clear that I order a CT scan when it is indicated, no matter what. I don't care about any of this radiation nonsense, okay? And so does Dr. Lekwa, okay? Um, <laughs> so, yes, he's here. So, I can wrap it up now because Dr. Lekwa's here. Looks like he's ready to give a talk or he's answering some emails, okay? So, um, so these are some imaging strategies um, to, in patients with abdominal pain to approach them first with ultrasound. And they looked at 1,021 consecutive patients with abdominal pain, did ultrasound and CT, and they compared them for some of these urgent diagnoses. And um, CT was more sensitive than ultrasound, 89% versus 70%, significant p-value. But the highest sensitivity actually was a combined approach where you did an ultrasound first and then did a CT if you couldn't uh, get your answer. And uh, the radiation was reduced in this study because CT was actually only needed for about half these cases. And so overall, they had a better combined accuracy with ultrasound first and CT and a reduced amount of radiation. So it's just some, something to think about. You know, it's only 1,000 patients, and you know, it's, they were consecutive, whatever, but who knows the validity of any study. So there's another study um, that I found that did an ultrasound first protocol. Basically, um, this was more of a retrospective thing. They reviewed charts of these patients, and um, they found out that only when the ultrasound is non-diagnostic did the kid go on to get a CT scan. And that was the protocol, that was the policy that they tried to institute. So they all started with ultrasound first. And what happened after they instituted that policy, ultrasound first policy in kids, was that the use of CT scans dropped. Um, ultrasound rose, obviously. There was no false positives in either group, but two patients had returned visits leading to a CT scan and appendectomy after uh, this study was implemented. And patients spent an average of 7 hours and 16 minutes in the ER before implementation compared to 5 hours and 19 minutes uh, after implementation. The total radiation per case fell from 23 to 9 millisieverts. So it's just something to think about, you know, a more liberal use of ultrasound. They even had a policy at this particular um, hospital uh, somewhere in New York, I think it was Mount Sinai, um, helped um, kind of people on both ends of the spectrum. So this is um, pan-scanning trauma patients, um, a retrospective uh, multi-center study, and um, Basically, they found that the number needed to scan, the number of patients needed to scan was 17. 
Um, so you have to scan 17 patients to pick up um, something of uh, clinical utility. And um, this was, is the use of PAN-CT to monitor blood trauma justified a prospect evaluation? These for um, smart research up at UCLA, including Dave Schreiger, Larry Baroff, and Jerome Hoffman. And this was a prospective study that looked at whether immediate intervention was necessary. They took 284 blunt trauma patients who underwent PAN-CT scans. 311 CTs uh, were deemed unnecessary in 143 patients. Physicians were actually willing to admit 27% of these scans, which would have missed two injuries, requiring immediate actions. So that's kind of scary. If you were not going to do these scans, you would miss two really important injuries. Um, and they would miss 17 other important injuries as well. But these two are critical here. That would have missed immediate critical actions. And so that's, I think this is good evidence to show why it is important to pan scan these patients because even you, don't, you can't miss these two injuries and that would require immediate actions. These are critical patients. And so that's why we have a, um, uh, you know, a, a, an aggressive use of CT scans in trauma patients. Now, our center actually probably... Um, doesn't scan as many patients, doesn't have as much of a, would you say, Dr. Lequa, we don't have as much of a liberal pan-scan attitude in the trauma bay compared to other trauma, level one trauma centers, it seems. Any we'll idea? we in there with a lot of them. We used to be a lot more strict about not scanning. We've, we've, we've gotten more frequent, and now we're trying to find ways out of that. Okay. As you know, I mean, we're trying to look at what we can get with it. It seems like they're always curtailing it now. We're in, 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 Several years ago, it was just pan scan everything. You know, they came in. Now it seems like because we're getting a lot of, you know, traumas that didn't used to come to us. Maybe we're trying to be careful about over scanning them now. Well, we think the pendulum has gone too far, especially with a lot of this radiation noise that's being made. We're trying to. We're just trying to. I mean, like even this study about the one, the the, the one you're talking about with the one percent. Let's say the one that needed immediate operation was a bowel injury. Six hours later, you would have known it, right? They would have gotten paranoid. So I, you know, I, I, I'm just saying, is you don't. It, it's. Uh, I mean, we weren't losing all those patients. They were living, right? Yeah. So I, I, I think my conclusion is exactly what you say, which is, you can try to knock out a lot of things, but if you miss a couple, if you miss that one percent, if those one percent come back to bite you, we get three thousand, actually now four thousand traumas, right? That's forty. That would be forty missed injuries, major yeah. injuries that you need to be a year, yeah. and if. One out of ten of those sue you. That would be four. We've been. I mean, I don't make it medical legal, but you know, we we never get sued. We don't miss anything. So it's all part of a bigger picture of common sense. Mole's done here. CT scans, uh, fourteen-fold increase in radiation to the thyroid, and if you do a standard three-view imaging, um, uh, there's been a couple studies. Interestingly, the one by Mauer and Hoffman is the one I like there. You get three good views for most patients with blunt trauma. You can get by without doing CT scans. This is an example of why you really need to move to a CT scan because here we don't see all the way down. We see one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. You can't see six or seven here. And of course, the CT scan here shows the body of C6 had the fracture not picked up on the plane film because it was not of adequate uh, image quality. So, um, you know, depending on the situation, if you got really clean uh, three view series you may be able to avoid um, CTing these um, C-spines as much. Um, I'm going to blast through. Um, so there's lots and lots of CAT scans that miss gallstones. Um, ultrasound's are better. It's one, of, it's one of the only things it's better for. But it's definitely more accurate than a CT scan for gallstones. We see, them all, see that all the time. Uh, and uh, this shows, this was a study we did here at UCI showing that 
we were um, a little bit uh, more sensitive than the radio. We compared ourselves to radiology. We had 43 different ER docs doing um, ultrasound of the gallbladder, and we were more sensitive than the radiology uh, department was here at UCI, but the radiology department is more specific. So our sensitivity is 87%. Theirs was 82% for acute cholecystitis. Our specificity was 83%, and their specificity down in radiology here at UCI was 86%. Um, and uh, we, you guys saw this, the last lecture. I think uh, Dr. Chenawani went over this with you, so I don't need to go over that. And um, there are some technologies that are coming down the pike that are going to reduce the amount of radiation, this ASIR, Adaptive Statistical Iterative Reconstruction. This is with 15 millisieverts, and this is a patient with large body, has a 260-pound patient. You can see the clear to the CT scan. This is with a lot less radiation, almost half, and it's a much prettier image because this adaptive statistical iterative reconstruction, here's 200 milliamps, 180, 150, 130, 150, 180, 210, 170. And basically, as it goes down through the body, it's constantly adapting to um, different tissue types. And therefore, the overall radiation is less, um, but it's, it's, it's higher where it needs to really penetrate more. So that's something to think about. There's other technology called filtered back projection. Um, here's low dose and filtered back, and this is low dose plus ASIR. ASIR is a lot cleaner than this filtered back projection stuff. We can make out um, uh, the clarity over here at the ASIR. This is the ASIR I already told you about. So I think ASIR compared to filtered back seems to be the one that's sort of um, emerging. And so um, I think that's all I got here. Oh, here's some strategies. Um, yeah, we kind of talked about all this stuff already. Avoid repetitive studies. Try to tailor the exam to the patient. Reduce this dosage. Think about ultrasound first. Limit the scan range. Hey, can we do that? If we're worried about appendicitis, instead of doing a CT admin pelvis, can we just do CT of the, you know, a few cuts down here where the appendix is, do you think? Is there a way to get, get around something like, do something like that here at UCI? I know some centers do that. They limit the focal area of CT admin pelvis, especially with kids, down to the area that's just right around where the appendix would be, rather than doing, you know, entering CT admin pelvis, and they get you know, the breasts all the way down through the gonads when you're really just worried about the appendix. You know what I mean? So, like, when I look for appendix with ultrasound, I don't start looking at all these other crazy organs. I just go straight to where the appendix is, you know? I wish we could do that better with our CT scans. And I don't know, that's something, obviously, a discussion that we may all have with radiology at, at some point. Yeah. That would be great. Um, Obviously, the number of ultrasounds, not a lot of chest x-rays involved here. So sometimes you get a patient who's really hell-bent on getting a CT scan, and there's really no indication for it whatsoever. And, um, and you know, you're kind of dancing around patient satisfaction issues at this point. And, you know, if they really want the CT scan and they're going to make a big stink about it, sometimes I tell them, listen, they don't care about millisieverts. I tell them, it's, you know, it's kind of like standing in front of the chest x-ray machine and then pulling the trigger on yourself 500 times.